Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. John chapter 10. And uh, let's just start with verse 1. Start there and, and we'll see where we end up. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold, this is Jesus speaking, by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I want to stop right there and highlight this fact that many times when we read this passage, we automatically think that the shepherd is who? Jesus, or God, or the Father, or and then we automatically think that the thief or the stranger is who? Satan, the devil, right? Because we know later on down in verse 10 in this passage, it says the thief does not come but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But then he says, I have come to bring life and to give life more abundantly. And so we know that that is a true way that we can look at this passage, that we can see that Jesus is the shepherd. We know later on he calls himself the great shepherd. We know that Jesus uh, many times was referred to as a shepherd. And then your stranger, uh, the, the one here that is considered the thief and the stranger, could easily uh, be called the devil. There's nothing wrong with coming to that conclusion. But what I would like to present to you this morning is that they could also be relative. Could be relative in the sense that he says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice and the stranger's voice, it says in verse five, they will by no means follow. So my question to you at this instance would be, who's the stranger? does not automatically mean it's the devil. Stranger just simply means unfamiliar or unrecognizable. It simply means that it's the voice that I don't recognize quickly and that I, I don't avail myself to that voice, respond to that voice, obey that voice, or follow that voice. Why? Not because uh, I know it's a bad guy, but because I don't recognize it. And I would I would uh, bring to you today that some believers have made the voice of the Holy Spirit the stranger and the voice of the enemy, the one that's recognizable, the one that they can instantly respond to. Isn't it amazing how quickly uh, we can seem sometimes to follow the voice of the liar, the enemy, the thief, the one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but then hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit seems to be so difficult. And I would even uh, give you this today, that, that we don't have a hearing problem. We don't have a hearing problem because even unbelievers, even those that don't know God, even those that don't have any relationship with God can hear God's voice respond and obey. That's how we came into the kingdom in the first place. Sure, it might have been somebody invited you to church or might have been a pastor, or it might have been a coworker that just kept staying on you, but ultimately the voice you obeyed and the voice you followed was that of the Holy Spirit, that, the, that it's God that draws all men unto repentance. It's, it's God that's drawing. So if unbelievers can hear his voice, if, if, if we can recognize the voice of God in making that initial decision, hey, you're in darkness, you need to come into light. Hey, you're far from me, but I want to bring you near to me, then we can sure as believers follow the voice of God. 
I find it very interesting, even in Genesis chapter 3, where, where man falls, man sins, you know, and there's no slap on the wrist. There's no, okay, that's one strike. Uh, you know, there's no, I'm counting to three, Adam and Eve, you better put that thing back. You better put that fruit back. You better quit eating. And what did I say? We don't do that. All right, I don't want to see you do that again. No, right there on the spot, they are kicked out and separated from God's presence and ultimately the Garden of Eden, ultimately losing the kingdom of God that was rightfully theirs. And they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a church. Adam and Eve didn't have a pastor. Adam and Eve didn't have YouTube. What I call pocket pastors. Come on. Adam and Eve didn't even have the resources. And, and, and if God's standard was that high with, with, the, with the simplicity of what they had available to them in the garden with just the command, do not eat the fruit of this tree or you will surely die. You will surely be separated from me. If, 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 if God could act on just that, then what kind of standard are we to be held to? A standard of hearing his voice a standard of recognizing the shepherd from the stranger. And many of us are following a shepherd that's not really a shepherd. And the stranger, the one that we don't recognize, the one that we, we're not familiar with, is the Holy Spirit, the one that we ought to be listening to and abiding by and, and, and be so connected to that the second he speaks, we can respond. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that it's just, okay, I'm, I'm, we're not robots. You will have to make the decision to follow the voice. You'll have to make the decision to step out. You'll have to make the, 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 the choice to obey the voice of the shepherd. But it begins by getting connected to and recognizing the voice of the shepherd. Stranger just means, I don't know you. Stranger just simply means, I don't recognize that. And so we keep on going here. Start with verse seven. And Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep and all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. The devil does not just want to do one of those three things. He wants to do all of those things. He wants to steal and he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. I heard a, 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 a pastor say this recently, and I just thought it just stood out to me. He, he said, the way that he steals, kills, and destroys, he steals while you're alive by stealing your life and, and stealing your joy, stealing your happiness, stealing your purpose, stealing your influence while you're, you're here in the planet. Then he kills by removing you from the planet. He ultimately wants to take you out. You're a threat to his world, a threat to his uh, kingdom, a threat to his agenda. So he wants to take you out. But then how do you destroy something that's already dead? He said this, he said, even after we're gone, he wants to destroy the legacy we would leave behind. The generations behind you. And he, he's not even satisfied with removing you from the planet, but even the influence you would have after you're gone, he wants to destroy that. Destroy your family, destroy the generations, that's, that's, the, that's the length the enemy will go to make sure you have no influence in this earth, whether you're here, whether you're not here. 
That's the lengths he will go. That's the work that he will do. That's what the thief does. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they will have it more abundantly. Well, how do you have it more abundantly if you're living? That's the fullness of life, right? But he's saying, not only will you have life while you're alive, more abundantly means even after you pass, even after you have departed from this earth, your legacy continues. Life continues to flow from you. That you set a course, you blazed a trail, you, you put a path in place that now people will follow whether you're here or not. That's life more abundantly. I don't know about you, I want life and I want life more abundantly. I want life while I'm here in the planet. I've got a life to live while I'm here in the earth. I've got a destiny and a purpose to fulfill while I'm breathing and while there is breath in these lungs and while my spirit is housed in this flesh suit and I'm active, I'm working, I'm doing, I'm giving all my effort to what God has called me to do. But even after I pass, I will ensure that there will be generations that will carry on behind me, that there will be a legacy following and that whatever I leave in this planet will carry on even if I don't. And that's the true mark of a believer. That's the true mark of what God is looking for in our lives is not just what we do for ourselves, but it's what we leave behind for others. It's not just what I do and accumulate and, 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 and allow God to bless me with and, and all the things that I can get in my life before I pass on from this earth. But what is it that I, could, I can leave an imprint of myself that even after I'm gone, I'm stamped in the earth and you can't remove it. You can't forget about what I left behind. That's, that's, that's a whole nother way to live. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling or a hired hand, he who is not the shepherd, he defines it. Just because they're hired, just because they're fulfilling a role that looks like they are shepherding, and just because they take on tasks that look like they're herding cattle or, or they are taking care of a flock, just because they're fulfilling a task and assignment on the outside does not mean that they have that motivation on the inside. He says, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling, and he does not care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Go to Ephesians chapter four for me. Ephesians chapter four. We have been talking the last several weeks now. I wanna remind you that we've been talking about Remembrance reminds you that we've been communicating the fact that God's uh, review, God's reminders, God's remembrance is just as vital to our lives as God's initial revelation. And although we might place value on one over the other, over brand new information versus information that we've already heard and how we treat it, God doesn't treat it any differently. God has the same level of value and honor and respect for words that he's reminding you of just as much as he does for a word that he's showing you for the first time. 
And again, a lot of times it's not that we have a hearing problem, but we have a forgetting problem that we don't keep to God's word. And we saw this pattern that where it starts is when we hear God's word a second time, third time, fourth time on down. Anytime God's word becomes common or becomes familiar to us or we treat it as, oh, I've heard that before, then what happens is the first step is despising God's word. Now I despise it. Now I am beginning to set within my heart, maybe not outwardly, maybe not externally, but just internally, I begin to make this little shift of devaluing what I've heard and devaluing even what I know and devaluing. The Bible says that faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith does not come because I heard it once. Faith comes because I'm hearing it and I'm hearing it and I'm hearing it. I'm continually putting myself in remembrance of. And Jesus said, I want to remind you of. And Peter said, I want to keep you in remembrance. And Paul said, I'm writing this to keep you in remembrance. And then Jesus said, I'm gonna send to you the Holy Spirit. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is he's going to remind you of all the things that I said. Apparently, what I'm saying is so important, you need to hear it again. Apparently, there might be an issue later on down the road that you'll forget what I said or that it will bear repeating with you so that you can draw the power from it once again. I've got to keep it in front of me. And so, we said as a church that the first thing that we were going to remind ourselves of was the church. And what does that look like? What does the church of God look like? In the first week, we discovered that the church is the body of Christ. That means that Jesus is my source. Jesus is the source of the church, not man. This is not a man-made thing, a man-made entity, a, a, a man-made uh, idea, you know, and, and, and we've got to be very careful with that because uh, sometimes we want to take control where we haven't been given control. Like I'm not the creator, so I can't control it. I'm not the creator, so I can't define it. You know that when you create something, then you hold the power to define the purpose of it. It's called the right of creation. And, and, and no one gets to come along and say, well, I know that you created it for that, but, but, but I, I think it, it could be used for this, or I think it could become this, or I think it could look like this. No, no, see, before the thing ever exists, the purpose existed. Purpose actually exists before a product every time. The product is not designed, and then we say, now what are we going to do with this? It doesn't work that way, at least not in the pattern that God showed us in Genesis chapter 1, that he didn't create man and say, well, that's an interesting creature. What should we, I mean, they, they seem to have some pretty, pretty interesting abilities. Well, man, they even look kind of like us. So, you know, maybe we should give them some dominion. How about that? Maybe we should give them some authority. Maybe they could help us control some of that stuff down there. I mean, we got a lot of work to do up here in heaven. There's a lot of stuff we just created. So uh, let, let's give them something to do. I mean, they look, they, they look capable. No. No. Before God created man, he had already created the purpose for man. And it's the same with the church. Before God created the church, he already created the purpose for the church. And guess what? Nobody gets to step in and say, this is the new purpose for the church. No, we have to follow his template. We have to follow his plan. We have to follow his purpose. And so we said that the church is the body of Christ. Jesus is our source. That means I don't have another source. My source is Jesus. But the body of Christ is given as a hope for the world. The body of Christ is given as a hope for the world. That there's a world that we should be reaching. 
There's a world that, that should be changed because you and I exist. There, there, because of what we're doing right here, right now, because of what's taking place in this building and all around the world and, 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 and whatever it looks like, because I'm telling you right now, it looks a lot different wherever you go. It looks a lot different in Valdosta than it does in Atlanta. And it looks a lot different in Kenya than it does in Atlanta. And it looks a lot different in India than it does in Kenya. Why? Because the template isn't, see the enemy wants to distract us because he can't deny the power of the church. The enemy can't touch the power of the church. But if we become distracted and we get off course, have you ever seen a, a, a team, uh, maybe uh, in, in athletics? Um, I mean, obviously we could use all kinds of scenarios, but let's use athletics, sports. Uh, you ever seen a team of really talented people, but none of them got along with each other, and so they never accomplished anything? You ever seen that? Maybe in person, maybe you are on the team, maybe you were the problem on the team. I don't know. Uh, but maybe you've seen it on TV. Maybe you've just seen uh, individuals that, man, on paper, uh, somebody was telling me just yesterday, the Cleveland Browns are going to win the Super Bowl. Cleveland Browns. I said, we haven't seen nothing yet. Don't talk to me about what a team can do on paper. I want to see how they treat each other. I want to see what the chemistry's like in the locker room because the locker room can tell me a lot of like what's going to show up on the field because just because you got talent and skill, but you can't get along with anybody, and you're arguing with your own people, man, I'll, I'll play you all day long and whip you. And you should be whipping me statistically. Well, that's what the enemy wants to do to the church. We're the most powerful entity on the planet. He can't touch us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. He's trying real hard. But you know where he gets us? Inside distracted, looking at the wrong stuff, attacking each other. Gotta tell, gotta remind people all the time as a pastor, it's not me versus you, it's you and I versus the devil. Are we gonna come together on this thing and fight him? Because this isn't opposition. I don't, fight, I don't fight against flesh and blood. And this isn't a war between you and I. This is you and I needing to war together, come together, lock arms against an enemy that wants to defeat us, but he has no business even attacking us. He can't touch this. So we, we can't allow ourselves to become distracted. We're the body of Christ. We're a hope for the world. Last week we saw that true discipleship, true discipleship demands that, that, we, that we push past some things in our own lives. And Jesus was very clear that your level of discipleship, your level of, of connection uh, or your level of commitment is many times limited by our comfort zones. Our commitment levels can be limited by our comfort zones. And we all have uh, areas where we know we're, 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 we're pushed as far as we wanna go. But Jesus said the disciples, the ones that truly follow me, they allow those walls to come down. And it's not about comfort and convenience and preference, but you learn to align your agendas and your priorities with the efforts uh, and the agendas and the priorities of one that's greater than you. We have a statement around here at Anchor Faith Church that the vision is bigger than all of us, but it requires each one of us. Not one person in here, not even myself or my wife and I, could accomplish the vision that God has given to Anchor Faith Church. But if we all band together, if we all rally together around one cause in one mission, you know the enemy doesn't even allow disunity in his own camp. Even Satan guards and protects everyone being of one mind and one accord. Because the kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself will fall. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Even the devil knows if, if, if we end up in discord, we're not going to be able to fight the fight that we're, that we're rallying. And, and, and it's just sad. It's just sad to me that the enemy will fight harder than we will for things. The enemy will work harder than the church will. I mean, I was talking about it on Wednesday a little bit, kind of got off on a tangent there and, and, and just talking about how hard the enemy goes after children, goes after babies, goes after the youth, but try to get the church to go into elementary schools, try to get the church to rally together to, to do an outreach event at a local high school, try to get the church to, to get people to serve in children's ministry. And it's pulling teeth, man. If I could just be honest and blunt about it. My wife is at some point going to minister a message on the influence the church should be having on the next generation. The conversations that we're having in our churches about the generational gaps. In the, I tell you right now, the devil does not care about generational cohesion. The devil does not care about, you know, well, we lost this group, so let's go attack. He's going after all of it, and he's fighting hard, and he's getting in there, and he's doing it, and he doesn't ask any questions, and they are winning the battle with our children, and they're winning the battle in abortion, and he's winning the battle, it's time for the church to rise up and quit bickering about how we're going to reach the generations and start reaching the generations. I have very little tolerance for people that argue about how to do something, but yet do nothing. I'd rather be the one that's going to step out and do something. Even if I fall flat on my face, I'll learn from it. I'll pick myself back up and I'll get back to work and do it a different way. I don't have time to sit around and talk about what we're going to do. We've got to get to work. We've got to have some urgency about this thing. You're either a part of the solution or you're part of the problem. There's only one of the two. And so we saw last week that our, our commitment levels cannot be dictated by our comfort zones. Allow God to push you past some things. Allow God to knock down some, some ideas of how we thought it was going to be and what we thought it was going to look like. And, and I, you know, uh, we, we could talk about worship music. We could talk about what it looks like. We could talk about lights. We could talk about sound. We could talk about location. We could talk about this and that and, and all these silly conversations that at the end of the day, are we reaching our community for the kingdom of God? Are we presenting a gospel that is uncompromised, not watered down? It's the truth unabandoned, spoken in love, and we're coming together as a community and locking arms and saying, we want to reach a people in a city that are dying and going to hell. That's ultimately what we've got to be after. And so we've got a mission. In Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. We've got to remind ourselves of the power of the church. But the power of the church lies in the purpose of the church. Our power lies in our purpose. If we get off our purpose, we lose our power. You can't have one without the other. You cannot have one without the other. Verse 11 says, And he himself, Jesus, that's a capital H, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. That's the five full ministry gifts. They're given for what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Notice here, this is interesting, because I say that we are the body of Christ and we're a hope for the world. So on one end, you have Jesus. We know he's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. 
And then we have the world, which we know is down here, separated from God. And the church is the medium through which God is working to reach a lost and dying world. The church is the intermediary. The church is what is in between. Jesus, you could put it this way, that Jesus is not reaching the world without using the church. Jesus is, if you are praying, they need Jesus. Guess what? You just signed up. Go ahead and raise your hand. Go ahead and get prepared to be used because Jesus is not going to reach that person without using you and I. In fact, this was God's plan from the very beginning that anything he did in the earth, he would use you and I to accomplish it. I said he would use you and I to accomplish it. When he wants a Red Sea parted, he needs a Moses. When he wants an ark built, he needs a Noah. When he wants a church started, he needs a Paul. He, God didn't even save mankind, you and I, without using a man. Jesus. Anything that God is wanting to accomplish in the earth today, he's using mankind. He will not work without you. In fact, he cannot work without you. I said he cannot work. What do you mean God cannot? Oh, there's a whole list of things God cannot do. He can't lie. I just told you earlier that he, there's some things he can't even just take from you. You have to hand it over. You've got to surrender it to him. There are things that God is limited by. God is limited by his word. Yeah, he's all powerful. He's omniscient. He's in authority. God is in control. But God is only in control of one thing. His word, if he spoke it, then it has to be according as he said. If it's not as he said, he becomes a liar. But the Bible also says that he's not a liar. He's not a man that he could lie. So if he said, you and I have authority and dominion on this earth, then guess what? You and I have authority and dominion on this earth. And from that point on, God uses mankind to accomplish his will in the earth. That's why Adam had to name the animals. If Adam and Eve were created on any other day prior to the sixth day, Adam and Eve would have finished creation. Did you hear what I said? Because he handed them authority. You rule. And then Jesus even said of the church, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That's in the Bible. Jesus spoke that, Matthew chapter 16. He even prayed in Matthew chapter uh, six. He said, this is how you ought to pray. Our father who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we don't really believe that because if we did, we would pray more. Because prayer is not getting God to know about my problems. Prayer is not my griping and wine session. Uh, you, know, it, you know, some of us probably need, you know, a, a black leather sofa that we lay on when we pray because it's like our little counseling therapy session with God so that we can get him to unravel our mess and our problems from the week. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is how do I accomplish your will in the earth? How do I get what is happening up there to happen down here? And Jesus stand, uh, uh, standing before Lazarus' tomb 
is such a perfect example of what prayer is. Because not once did Jesus ask God to raise Lazarus from the dead. Not once did he cry and whine and moan, oh God, why did you take my friend? And what happened to my friend? And oh, if you would just bring him back, then I promise I'll serve you all the days of my life and all the stuff that we pray about. That wasn't prayer. He said, the only reason I'm praying right now is so that all these people standing around here will know that you're the one that's going to do this. And then he spoke to Lazarus. Prayer is my opportunity to find out what the will of God is so that I can accomplish it in the earth. I just saw someone just this past week made a comment that Jesus was in obscurity for 30 years, in ministry for three and a half years, and he's been in intercession for 2,000 years. For the last 2,000 years, he's been praying for you and I. He said, most ministers want it the other way around. We want to be in prayer a short amount of time. We want to be in obscurity a short amount of time. We want to be in ministry, this visible ministry. He said, Jesus was the other way around. I heard another minister say about prayer that Jesus spent all night with the Father and spent very little time with people's problems. He said, we spend a lot of time with people's problems and very little time in prayer. And I mean, in every church, it's not just our church, in every church, the prayer meeting is the smallest meeting. But yet could potentially be the most power packed, could be the answer, could be the the most demonstrative opportunity. And we have corporate prayer Sunday morning here at 8.30 every Sunday morning. And there's usually a handful of us, four or five of us, but definitely not like, what if our prayer meeting looked like this? What if this was our prayer meeting? Now, you know, I could trick you and come up here and say, no, I'm not ministering today. This is our corporate prayer session. But then your heart wouldn't be, be oh, that pastor tricked me. Got me. No, I want you to come motivated to pray, motivated to to call heaven down, motivated to to say your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And today we're gonna bind and today we're gonna loose and we know that heaven's gonna respond to whatever we, your church, declares and demands in the name of Jesus. And we're gonna pray in the spirit and we're gonna pray in English and we're gonna sing in the spirit and we're gonna sing in English and we're gonna worship the Lord. What if we did that every weekend? What would that look like? You know, know, a, a lot, I hear this, a lot in a lot of churches and a lot of ministers, a lot of pastors, this call for revival. But do you know how revival started? If you really want to trace most revivals back to their beginnings, they started in closets and in bedrooms and in hotel rooms. I mean, even the church in Acts chapter two started in an upper room with a handful of people compared to the multitudes that followed Jesus. 120, that's all we can scrounge up? I mean, even Jesus had the smallest. Even Jesus' prayer meeting was the smallest meeting. 120 people. And then what? The church was born that day. 3,000 come to know Christ. So we recognize that the power of what we do as a church and the power of the essence of what we do might not be what we think it is, might not be the glam and the show and the, and the glitz and, the, and, and the, the, this, this thing here, this right here is just an element of. And I had someone send me an article just this past week on, on how churches have to be up with the digital technologies of our day and that whether we like it or not, church in just a few short years will be strictly digital. You can say that, but tell Blockbuster that. Tell Sears that. 
No. And then what they're finding out is that the stores that went digital, they're actually getting more foot traffic now than they did before. Go figure. Why? Because they retained a customer. So we should just get used to someone saying, I'm just going to stay home today. I'm going to get the podcast tomorrow. I'm going to watch the live stream. I don't know about you. I can't get used to that. Because I've got word from God's word telling me to beware of just that very thing. To not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And even more so as the day draws near. As is the custom of some. I mean, if that doesn't spell it out, then I don't know. I don't know what does. I don't know how it could be any more clear. Now, will we use technology in the digital enhancements as elements? You better believe it. If you're not online as a church, then you're just simply not where people are because everybody's online. But I will not relegate church to an online experience. I could name off, I could count on both hands things that you miss if you're not here. Period. That getting it through a lens will compromise the efficiency and the effectiveness of the church in the last days. So there's things that we've got to, we've got to remain steadfast in. I, we've got to determine our non-negotiables. We've got to determine what, what, where we're going to stand and where we're going to position ourselves so that we can accomplish the things of God. So right here in verse 12, it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Jesus, the head in heaven, working through his body on the earth, the church, reaching a lost and dying world. But here's the thing. He's telling us here that your first line of influence is not outside the church, it's inside. That's what this passage is saying. Now, I've met plenty of believers and plenty of Christians that, man, they have a passion, a burning zeal, uh, a heart for the world, for the unchurched, for, the, for those. Uh, you know, it's almost to the point for some people that saved people make them sick. You, ever, you met anybody like that? They, they just, they, they almost can't tolerate Christi, Christianese and Christianity. Why? Because they're so zealous and so passionate for people that don't know Jesus. And so while we're in here having our little click and our little game and doing all of our Christian stuff, there's people out there dying and going to hell and that, there's a passion on the inside of them to reach them. But here's the thing. The first line of influence that the church is responsible for is not people outside the church. It says for the edifying of the body of Christ. The first thing that I should be doing as a believer is I should be giving my uh, uh, influence to other believers around me and strengthening and empowering one another. That my, my reaching the world is not a substitute for reaching my brother. My going after those that are lost and dying in the world should not replace being there for my brother and sister in Christ. That's what he says right here. It's for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till what? Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, that, that gives us our expectation. What are we looking for? If we're doing church and we're doing it according to God's way and if we are accomplishing the mission, what does that look like? Well, we're, we have there's unity of faith. We have knowledge of the Son of God. We're a perfect man. That means a mature man. The measure and the stature of the fullness, not the halfness, but the completeness all the way, fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Every joint supplies. It says every joint supplies. You know, a joint 
by nature means that you have to be connected to someone else. You cannot be a joint if you're not joining something. You could be an arm, you could be a, 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 a bicep, you could be a, a tibia. It's somewhere in the body, I think the leg, maybe. That's all, I'm at. That's all I got on the anatomy of the body. But you can't be a joint unless you're not, unless you're connected to something. Are we jointed or disjointed? Are we connected or disconnected? Come on, I'm speaking to the church now. From whom the whole body joined and knit together. That's interwoven there. That's not even on a casual basis. He's saying some of your greatest connections ought to be with this group right here. I mean, if you can lean on anybody, you should be able to lean on the person right next to you. In this room, we should be that woven, that knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. We said this last week that there are no inactive members in the body of Christ. Inactivity in the kingdom of God is, is, is it's non-negotiable. We are moving active pieces in the kingdom of God. And you look in the word of God and you find people from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, people that were doing something, people that were active, people that were busy, people that were putting their hand to something. And many times God found people that were busy doing stuff that didn't look anything like their calling. Elijah goes and taps Elisha on the shoulder and says, you're it. Elisha wasn't in a closet saying, when's my time? God, I want to start my ministry. He wasn't printing off business cards. He wasn't setting up an itinerary and calling local ministers saying, can I come minister for you? He was hauling, he was plowing a field behind 12 dirty, stinky oxen. Doing normal, meticulous Boring, mundane stuff that many times God will call you right out of the midst of just the regular life that you're doing. He doesn't need you to do anything extraordinary. He doesn't need you to go out and pursue something great. He just needs you to pursue whatever is in front of you, whatever you put your hand to, whatever, just be busy, active, and effective in whatever you can do, and God will use that. Noah had no clue how to build a boat. Didn't even know what a boat was. God said, you don't need to. David had no idea how to be a king. He's just a little shepherd boy. And they don't even care to bring him on the battlefield. You're worthless. You ain't good for nothing. You're, you're just the, 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 the cheese and crackers guy. You're just the, the, the lunchable dude. Go run some lunchables out to the, well, he ends up taking out the giant. He ends up becoming king. Over God's people, Israel. Jesus is just a carpenter. Paul is just a tent maker and a murderer at that. Moses is a runaway. Moses doesn't even know who he is. If you think you've got to do something great for God to use you, you just haven't read your Bible enough because God will pull you out of your mess. God will pull you out of your mundane. God will pull you out of your loose uselessness. God will use you in obscurity. God will use whatever you've got to get his will and purpose accomplished in the earth because he's not looking for the extraordinary. He's looking for the ordinary. He's not looking for the supernatural. He's looking for the natural. And he's saying, I'll put my super on your natural and I'll put my extra on your ordinary. If you'll just follow me and obey, then I know that I've got a man I can use that will accomplish my will in the earth. We spend so much time looking for all this stuff, writing off all the little opportunities that God wants to use his people, use his church for his glory. And they might not write about it. And you may never have a website and you may not have business cards and you may not have a blog and you may not have videos, but God can use you right where you're at. And you may not even know the difference you made until you get to heaven and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And well done is a lot better than, well, you're done. (laughs) Ain't got nothing to show for it. No, I want to hear well done. Well done. I don't like my steak that way, but I do want my purpose that way. Well done. Good and faithful what? Good and faithful what? Good and faithful what? That's the only title he's looking for. The only way to leadership is through service. You can't serve, you can't lead. Please don't lead. I'm begging you. But he says, according to the effective working by which every part, there's no such thing as an inactive member. I said this last week, it is simply not sustainable for an organization to grow and to accumulate people that do nothing. It's not, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I don't, I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care what business you're a part of. I don't care what, what type of line of work you're in. Just to accumulate people that leech on and, and come on, but they're not actually putting their hand to the plow and helping get the product, that is not sustainable. That is a, 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 a model that will eventually, it is doomed to fail. It will die. And in the church, it's no different. And I'm not bringing condemnation. I'm not saying that to make anybody that's not doing anything feel bad about yourself. I'm saying that God's put a, a gift, a purpose, a, 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 something is inside of you. There's potential we haven't even tapped into. What do you bring to the table that can help us advance the mission that God has given us? I am reading from the Bible what every part does it share. You've got a word of encouragement. You don't have to come in here and always have someone encourage you. You can encourage someone else. Every part does it share. And what happens when every part is working and doing its share? It says it causes growth of the what? The body. I'll submit to you today that that's spiritual growth and natural growth. It causes growth of the body. And why do we grow? So that we can become a group of people that's disjointed and disconnected and separate? No, he says, causes growth of the body for the edifying of what? Itself. Itself. I don't know about you, but I want to leave here encouraged, not discouraged. I want to leave here strengthened, not weakened. I want to leave here ready to do battle and knowing that I'm surrounded by people that I'm going to do battle with and you've got faults and failures And I've got faults and failures and we're not gonna stand here and try to figure out whose faults and failures are worse than someone else's faults and failures. We're just gonna say, God's gonna use us anyways. I'm gonna give the junk that I can't fix to God and we're just gonna build each other up so we can get out there and accomplish the will of God for our lives. That sound like a good plan? That sounds like a good plan. But the enemy wants to distract us. You know why he wants to distract you? Because he can't destroy you. That's what you do to someone that is bigger and better than you. I can't whip you statistically. But I can get in your head. I can make you think you're something that you're not or that you're not something that you are. I can get you more focused on your teammates around you than the enemy that's in front of you. Come on now. I'll distract you because I can't take it from you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can't touch that. No weapon formed against you will prosper. I can't touch that. But you can take yourself down. 
I can keep you from walking in all the potential and purpose that God has for your life because I'll make you think that you are uh, less than what he has created you to be. The devil, if you knew what the devil knows about you, (laughs) amen? It's what he wants to do. Look at um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm a history guy. I, I enjoy history. I enjoy documentaries and, and just all that kind of stuff and to see, you know, where we're at as a people today compared to where we used to be as a people and, and what's important today versus what used to be important and all those different things. I just, I find that cultural, you know, social stuff, you know, interesting. Why we do what we do. And, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the, the church, and as a pastor, I, I'm responsible for discerning the direction that God has for this church specifically. But then in also, you know, properly analyzing the times of our day. It's a great responsibility to get up here and speak to you when I know I've got about an hour uh, uh, with you and... Uh, that's once a week. So out of 168 hours, I believe it is. You can correct me, Myrna, if I'm wrong. Uh, you probably know it in your head. But uh, however many hours we have in the week, uh, I've got about one. And that's if you come every week. And um, so there's a great burden. There's a great responsibility to be able to communicate the oracles of God. Uh, I don't I don't Google my messages. I don't get them from some other pastor. I don't download somebody else's outlines. I get them straight from the throne room. But with that comes a weight and responsibility uh, to, to be the man of God that is one, going to live it, practice it, be an example of it to you, but then secondly, hold you accountable to it. Because there is no responsibility without accountability. I said, there's no responsibility without accountability. And today, we live in a day and age where we want responsibility, but no accountability. I want to be able to do what I want, but I don't want to have to answer to anybody to be able to do what I want. And I don't want anybody to call me on it. I don't want you pointing my stuff out. I don't want you uh, 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 giving me direction. I, I, I want to be able to hear what I want to hear. I want to be able to do what I want to do, say what I want to say. We live in a very uh, uh, free, and you know what's interesting about that is in this desire to be free, we're starving for leadership. We're starving for someone to lead us, guide us, and direct us. Why? Because we were designed that way. We were never designed to just do what we want to do whenever we want to do it. And whatever pleases us, whatever feels good, we do it in in that whole lifestyle. And that's not even brand new. That happened in the garden. But there's got to be accountability. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul's writing and he says, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself. Conduct. How you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth the pillar and ground of truth. One translation says the pillar and foundation of truth. Another translation says uh, the pillar and support of truth. And the church has to get back, and I'll close with this, with the responsibility of standing for truth. Standing for truth. 
speaking out for truth. Now, it's terms that we don't hear a lot in church, and the worship team better go ahead and come on up because I can camp out here for a while, but I know I, my time is running out. By the time we don't, by the way, we don't have end times. I do have a starting time. I heard someone say, you know, there, I guess 12 o'clock is when people think I should be wrapping up or whenever you get hungry. I should be wrapping up. When, when we get 100% participation at 1030, then I will wrap up at 12 o'clock. How about that? I'm just kidding. You want me to honor the end time, but you got to honor the start time. Okay. We're closing. But the church is to be a pillar in support of truth. I, I, I put this out this past week. I said, the church cannot build a tolerance for what God has delivered us from. We cannot build a tolerance for. You know, tolerance is where culture begins. Culture is either what you set it or let it. And as a church, if in the last days we're going to accomplish our purpose, it's not going to be by getting larger buildings, buying more chairs, being more widespread with technology. No, the effectiveness of the church is going to be measured by the truth we stand up for. All of it. Holiness, righteousness. What does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say about the Holy Spirit? I'm, 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 I'm tired of having the discord over the Holy Spirit. It's very clear. It, God is not the author of confusion. He wants us to know who the Holy Spirit is, what he's been given for, how we receive him, how we operate in the gifts of the manifestations or demonstrations, the, even the physical acts of the Holy Spirit. We need to get on the same page with divine healing. I said we are the standard and pillar, the support of truth. got to align with what God says. I'm not aligning with the denomination. I'm not aligning with a man or a person. I'm not aligning with some church or pastor or agenda. I'm aligning with what the Bible says. At the end of the day, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say I should believe about my finances? What does the Bible say I should believe about my physical body? What does the Bible say I should believe about how I walk in love with a, uh, with a relationship? What does the Bible say about how I treat my neighbor? What does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say? There's nothing that will ever happen in this earth that hasn't already been covered. And again, I remind you, if God could place a demand on people in the Old Testament to keep his command and his word, and they didn't even have this book, how much more should we be held accountable and responsible for honoring this? How much more should we be honoring the standard of the word of God? We are the pillar in support of truth. Not the pillar in support of agendas and the pillar in support of denominations. I mean, we, we, we're non-denominational, but even non-denominational with denomination. No. We're a Bible preaching, Word of God believing, truth standing and supporting Church of the Living God. I'm not in competition. I'm not trying to do something that somebody else is doing. I'm not trying to do what somebody else is not doing. I'm not trying to do something better. We're trying to do something different. God has given us a purpose. God has given us an assignment that is specific to Anchor Faith Church. And I can't answer for anybody else, but I will stand before him. Did you support my word of truth? 
did you stand? Were you a pillar? You know, a pillar isn't wavy. If you have a pillar that's shaky, that doesn't do well at holding stuff up, replace it with a pillar that doesn't go anywhere. It's designed to stay in place regardless of what opposition and resistance comes against it. That's what a pillar is designed to do. The reason why this roof isn't falling down on us right now is because there are metal pillars all around you holding it up. And it's designed that even if the strongest storm and the strongest winds and the greatest oppression and the greatest resistance came against them, it would remain standing to protect whatever is on the inside. And the Word of God gets compromised when we don't remain a steadfast pillar, immovable, unshakable. We are a kingdom that cannot be shaken to protect what's on the inside. And when, when we don't stand for truth, what's on the inside gets compromised. People's lives get compromised. Destiny becomes compromised. The purpose of God becomes compromised. And we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. We've got to stand up for truth. Stand up for holiness. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for love. Stand up for healing. Stand up for what the Bible speaks is true. We do not wait. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church Podcast.